back. Now it might only be for three seconds, but that quick downdraft is all it takes to go a hundred mm-hmm. yards. And like, you know, you hear stories of guys all oh, sitting in the sun for six hours waiting for him to scan. It's like, well, good job, buddy. Cause you know, that deer's like not going anywhere. He's in the shade and he's trying to hide from that. Mm-hmm. He's not trying to get up. So by the time he is trying to get up and it is cool and the, and the thermals are changing, you lost your opportunity. Rockcast is powered by Onyx Hunt, and for good reason. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app in the industry. Stay tuned for a Rockcast promo code. Proverbs 27.17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Today's guest is exactly that to me. He is a bow hunter exclusively focused on mule deer. He's taken over 60 mule deer bucks with a bow in less than 20 years. Wrap your mind around that for just a second. He's the creator of the Graylight app, the only mule deer hunting app out there. You probably already know who I'm talking about, but if not, please meet Marlon Holden. Hello, Marlon. How are you, brother? Hey, good, good, man. I appreciate you coming on. What was it? Just like four hours ago, we started thinking about this and here we are. Yeah, I was, uh, I saw your message and I'm like, oh man, I couldn't be more humbled or thankful to to join in conversation with somebody who, who loves mule deer and, and the mountains and God as much as I do. So thanks for having me. You are welcome. You are welcome. And for all our listeners there today, um, you know, this is a, a mule deer theme podcast. We talk about other things too, but uh, I have been following Marlon Holden for probably about five to seven years. Again, most of you know who he is, but if you don't jump on to Instagram, look up gray light hunter, all one word, gray light hunter. That's the man right there. And you are going to see a ton of content on that Instagram page. You need to follow it right now. Uh, He posts often and it's about mule deer. If you love mule deer, you need to be on that page. Um, Marlon, I think I remember like seven or eight years ago, back when uh, Bookface or Facebook, whatever that app was called, was a thing. I remember like seeing seeing this uh this little icon on there of a guy i think he had a hood on and it was kind of a i don't know a shadowed picture i almost looked like a gangster or something and and this dude was writing about mule deer and 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 i remember just reading it and like this dude is spot on like everything he's saying man i've experienced that stuff and that's kind of how i got to know you and and you were on instagram for quite a few years or excuse me facebook and then you then you switched over to instagram right yeah, I was super late to uh, Instagram. All my friends and everybody was jumping on it. And I'm like, I don't know about this. You know, uh, kind of how we feel about uh, anybody else launching a new app and trying to put it out there and telling us to jump on us. Kind of, I don't know about that. I, I, I probably waited two or three years before I even jumped on Instagram. And I was kind of, you know, just into the Facebook thing for a long time. And um so yeah, I, I, I <laughs> it's funny. It was the day I took that that photo that I've been using for the last decade or so. I was coming off the top of a thirteen thousand foot peak. It was 
raining on me. It was hailing. It was like colder and heavy. I'm like, I was having candidly a bad day. <laughs> and so I took that picture and, and uh, turned it black and white and I just kept using it. I don't know why. And, and to be honest with you, if, if I ever tried to, I don't think I could ever take a better one <laughs> that kind of, um, you know, surrounds my uh, mountain ethos. So I just keep it. <laughs> I agree, man. And it's almost, you know, become your brand. I mean, when I see that, I don't have to see any words or anything. I know exactly who it is and what was kind of cool about it. And I, and I picked this up on your social media a long time ago was it, it was a little mysterious because it was kind of hard to see the picture and your posts, you were hardly in your posts very much compared to a lot of people. I mean, it wasn't just all selfies and Hey man, I just smashed a buck, you know, and you know, we're looking up your nostrils and everything. It was always kind of more mule deer content and, you know, talking about the stock and the vegetation and everything. And, and uh, so to me, there was just a little bit of mystery there. I think that's why it made an impression on me. Like, well, who is this guy? You know, is he even real? You know, is, is, is he, is he a, is he a myth? Is is he a ghost writer? Sometimes I thought that too. Like, is, is this just some really good writer teenager in his basement, you know, putting up stuff and it, that was just a couple of weeks. And then, then I, then I figured out who you were. And I think you're friends with David Long, one of my old friends. Yeah. David and I are good buddies. Gotcha. And then I saw a couple of posts then and put a name with a face and thought, okay, that's who this guy is. So anyways, all that's for the listeners to just know, you know, how, how I come to know you. I've only met you once. I met you at expo last year when uh, you were launching your app and everything. And, um, but anyways, over the years, I've, I followed your social media and I always felt like it was different than a lot of what's out there. Number one, it wasn't just focused on you. Um, It was focused on, on mule deer, mule deer country. And I, I just always walked away felt like I learned something or I experienced, experienced something in common with you. And so it, it was refreshing. And, um, then last year when your app came out, um, I, I did a review on it, I did a written review on it. And, uh, for, for anybody that's on rock slide, jump over, over to our homepage, just type in gray light app and you'll, the review will come up. Um, it's the only app in category, I believe. Is that right, Marlon? Yeah. There's that's you know kind of what preempted me about it. I mean, to kind of take it back and and comment a little bit about what you were saying on um, you know being focused on mule deer. I think that um, when I got into this, it wasn't uh, it was to be a part of something bigger than myself, but it wasn't to be you know like some name. I didn't want to be somebody necessarily. Um, it was more about like the passion of the field and the ethos or essence of the gray light in the mountains, the gray light, that moment when everything's like feeding, walking to bed, kind of moving around just in those shadows where, where these animals do, you know, most of their moving and, and most of their lives before they bed up for the day. And, and I wanted the gray light to kind of take center stage as the moment uh, by which I wanted to just, characterize and kind of give that stage for uh that species to kind of be highlighted um and you know some of my adventures in there and and whatnot so if it seems like it's redundant or repetitive it's only because i've um chosen to like really kind of dedicate my life towards or at least the last couple decades towards really focusing on 
you know, them, their life cycle, their behavior, their habits, they're kind of just learning everything I can about them. So that that way I could, um, be better at not only understanding them, but, you know, understanding how to, how to hunt them and what their needs are and what, you know, what makes them tick and and why they do what they do. It's just such a, they're such an amazing animal and, and quintessentially they kind of, uh, speak the essence of, of the West, the mountain, the, the high mountain West and, you know, the, the deserts and the low deserts and everything in between. They're just such a iconic Western animal that, uh, that they totally captivated my heart when I learned about them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I don't know if you remember when you contacted me in December last year and, and said the app was coming out and take a look at it. Um, and then I didn't get back to you for about a month. It, yep. it literally took about a month for me to get through the app, there was that much content on it. And so, um, you know, for, for my listeners, I'll, I'll just give everybody a summary. You, you know, maybe you're driving, you don't, you won't have time to jump over there and look at the review, but I'll, I'll give you a summary of, of the 36 different uh, courses that are in the app. Uh, buckle your seatbelt and, and try to hang on. I'm going to sound like an auctioneer, but here's the 36. Intro, field ethos, mule deer in a nutshell, conditioning, mountain safety, scouting, glassing, field judging, equipment, bow tuning, shooting, backcountry logistics, mindset, navigation, habitat, terrain, weather, stalking strategy, mule deer behavior, high country, mid elevation, low desert, early season, the rut, moment of truth, the hunt, blood trails, pack out, field care, velvet preservation, scoring, in the wild, vortex, Zamerlin, scree. Whew! And that's why it took me a <laughs> month because each one of those was, I don't know, anywhere from... 10 minutes to a half an hour to get through. And it was deep. It was deep. Um, and so that's, that's really what the whole gray light app was about. And I, and I, and, you know, you didn't ask me to review it. You just asked me to take a look at it. I was happy to publish that on rock slide because, you know, number one, very unique, the, the, the only app in class. And, um, I, I really felt like when I went through it, it was like, there's something here for everybody from, uh, you know, especially for a brand new hunter, obviously, but, you know, even, even seasoned hunters, there was a lot there. And, and for people that haven't seen it, there's a lot of just in the field and no offense, Marlon, low quality video shot on the mountain. When I say low quality, I mean, the kind you would expect if a guy just turned his phone on when he shot at a deer or he's, or he's glassing and he's kind of talking into the phone, you know, stuff like that. Um, you know, Low production quality, high learning value is is what I took took from it, and uh, so yeah. that's why I was just really happy to to get that review out there for you. And I hope it's doing well. Um, I haven't had time to jump back on in the last while. Um, I remember you gave me a promise that you were going to continue to update the app. It was not just going to be a static app. Have you been able to do that? Yeah. So um, to your point, you're right. I didn't want it to be um about the editors and about the videography you know that would be nice and everything like that but to be honest like a lot of that stuff out in the mountains it's it's not scripted and i don't want it to be a classroom per se where it's a setting i want to be in a situation and be like oh my gosh this is something i want to talk about i want to whip my phone out record it really raw like in the moment right there and give it to you guys you know it might be a minute it might be five minutes but it's it's just little tiny moments of contemplation as somebody who's an outdoorsman on the mountain that's kind of like been there, and and to your point, you know, the more seasoned guys that are killers, um, there's probably going to be a few nuggets here and there, but overall, like it's not going to be some big huge aha moment. I think there's a separation with a lot of fellows. I think that 
if you really look at the statistics, I would say that, you know, 10% of hunters kill 90% of game. And, uh, and, and, you know, there's a lot of people out there that are posting pictures of just, you know, putting in the work, shooting the arrows, doing, putting in the reps, scouting, finding animals, shed hunting. Uh, but the kill part is significantly missing. Mm-hmm. And so this is, uh, you know, it's, it's no, this is no, um, slight on anyone. It's simply to help those people have that. Let's look in the mirror and have a coming to Jesus moment. Are you killing how you want to kill? Are, are you successful in the field from the standpoint of harvest and filling tags how you want to, or you just posting up a lot of photos of stuff and, you know, and, and that's your process. Like there's nothing wrong with that, but I wanted to try and help give people maybe a little bit of an edge because I remember when I started hunting, there was really not a lot. And a lot of people are very tight lipped. They don't want to, you know, help anybody necessarily. It's kind of one of those things where uh, you got bad mouth if you ask certain things. So instead of talking about states and units and, and, you know, what basin or what, you know, what drainage I, I, tore it down and, and broke it apart into digestible little pieces that allowed you to basically go into any type of an ecosystem and figure out how to find your own animals using a method and a strategy. And um, to get, you know, circle back what you were talking about, I, I did uh, continue to and still do upload videos. I would say there's probably over double uh, what you saw on there last year up now. So all right, the catalog has grown much more robust um and, and it's just going to keep growing like you over the next two three four five years i mean it's going to get so big that you it's going to take you a, you know a straight year to get through it um <laughs> yeah <laughs> i believe so, it. If, you, if you've doubled the content that was there and it took me a month and you know this was looking at it you know three times a week you know sit down for an hour and get in my easy chair and kind of go through it like a good TV show, you know, something like that. I mean, I'm, I guess if a person sat down at eight o'clock in the morning and watched until 10 o'clock at night, they could get through it all. Uh, but it was, it was in depth and, and Marlon, one of the things, uh, there, one of the strong points that was in there and, and maybe it really stuck out to me because it's one of my weak points is I don't know what the mule deer foods are called, you know, the, the herbs and forbs, you know, a few of them, I know that, you know, the basic ones, you know, Western sage and Utah juniper and, uh, you know, antelope bitterbrush, but man, your, your knowledge of the, 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 the food sources from the high country to the desert, you know, from, you know, a couple thousand feet to 12, 13,000 feet. I, that was so interesting to me to know what those plants were called and, you know, how you videoed them and showed them and, you know, the, talked about the different times that deer use them. I, I, I found that was really, really good. Uh, I'm, you know, that's something that like in everybody wants that, like the satisfaction of watching, you know, an arrow pass through the pocket. But I found that the most satisfying part of our hunts nowadays is not that part. It's everything leading up to that part. Because once Mm -hmm. that happens, it's just over. And there's almost like, you know, a little solemn, like sense of sadness that, 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 that that's over. And so I, I've taken it upon myself to like, just really, um, you know, I care a lot about that process. I care a lot about understanding the animals and, and what they're doing. And, 
And so I find that it's actually a lot of fun to try to break down why they're doing what they're doing or, you know, the mannerisms that they're displaying, the body postures, the language, the how they speak to each other. When you're in tight and you see them do different things, how, you know, you can see a bunch of bachelor bucks bedded together and how they'll motion with their head or their antlers or they'll look out of the corner of their own eyes and they'll shake their head and how, you know, some of the younger bucks will respond based off of that. And and you can start to really see uh, the communication between them and how uh-huh. they speak and what they're about to do because of how they speak without speaking. It's uh, a lot of gesturing and a lot of physical posturing and whatnot, uh, along with uh, um, audio, audio cues um, that they, you know, little grunts and, and sounds that they make. But they're just like humans. Um uh-huh in their individualistic behaviors and the beds that they prefer and, and who's in the pecking order and, and who, you know, gets picked on the most. And it, it's really interesting to me to kind of like, um, you know, learn about that part of meal there and then try and do the best that I can to um, record it and share it. It's not always easy, but um, you know, hopefully it's, it's worthwhile. I've gotten a lot of messages from guys that are, uh, you know, using the app successfully have uh, used it to locate and harvest animals, um, which is really cool. I mean, I think there was like one guy that left a, uh, a poor review. Uh, and then we had like everyone else leave five star reviews. So we're like almost oh, yeah. a five star rating. We have a 4.9 star rating and people are digging it. We have like, uh, there's over 8,900 downloads and, um, yeah, there's like over 25,000 in-course activities completed and people are like really, you know, grabbing onto it and using it, which is which is all I could ask for. I mean, really, at the end of the day, it's it's a resource for like less than the cost of a tank of gas a year. You can just, you know, have a resource there to I don't care if you're sitting on the toilet or sitting in your lazy board or taking 15 or 20 minutes at lunch and like watching a couple. I mean, you know, if you can pick up one thing, me. Personally, if I can pick up one thing from somebody that kills consistently, I mean, I, gosh, I, I want to know it. You know, I certainly don't know everything and and I would love to, you know, learn as much as I can about them. So um, I'm, I'm happy to put it out there and I just hope that uh, it continues to provide value for people and I won't stop um, adding content to it. So that way it's a unique value proposition for the guys that have stayed loyal and continue to uh you know, remain subscribed that they're always getting um, a constant drip of uh, of good information. Yeah, sure thing. And yeah, just for our listeners, I I bought the app. Uh, Marlon he offered to comp me. I'm like, no man, I want to support a brother, and uh, I'm, I'm still paying it because I still think there's value there. And uh, what is it like ten bucks a month or something? I mean, it's I spend more on coffee in a in a one trip to Starbucks than I do on your app. Yeah, $9.99 a month. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There yeah. you go. And you can cancel anytime. So anyways, um, uh, we weren't trying to make this a, a, a sales pitch for the app. I just wanted the listeners to, to to understand the depth of knowledge of today's guests. And you've already talked talk about the plants, body postures, um, uh, audio noises between mule deer. I mean, how many people do you really hear talking about that? And, and so, um, uh, th- that was the whole reason for all of that right there. Check out the app if you want, if not jump over to his Instagram page, and this will move us into our, our next segment of this episode. Um, when you're on his Instagram page, if you go back to roughly late August, 
just just scroll down and you'll you'll see that's when he got in the field and started giving daily updates and you know this is one of the great things about following graylight hunter on there is you know if you're you're stuck working or stuck at home you know you can't go you can you can experience the hunt almost daily it seems like you post from the mountain correct yeah i like to post quite a bit um you know and i'm always making making trips like i'll always make uh a couple trips each so when they start growing velvet july august september like i'll, I'll make uh you know a couple trips each month to go check on um and i'll spend a few days at a time each trip just looking at her her density uh kind of like the migration um whether they're transitioning whether they're transitioned uh what country they're held up in what they're eating in that certain country so that way i just kind of have a good idea where they're going, why, where, and how, and, uh, it gives me a, you know, predicates it's predicated upon like whether I get the tag to the area and spending the highest and best use of my time in that area. So that way I know kind of like what type of animals I'm looking for or what I'll settle with come to hunt. Um, it just, you know, empowers me with a little bit of knowledge to understand what, what I'm in for, but more than anything, it's just fun, right? Like it's just, uh, it's just really fun to be able to be up there and, and, and watch them and, and, you know, do what we love. Yeah. And for people that might not know, Marlon lives in, on the Cali coast. And so from mule deer country is a long ways for him. You know, he's not, he's not like me, you know, I, I got it within 15 minutes of my house, you know, so for, to get out a couple times a month, starting in June, that's a pretty big commitment. And uh, you're a professional photographer, correct? Yeah, I uh, do landscape photography. So um, I am lucky that way in that, um, you know, if, if if I'm chasing wildflowers in the mountains in June, July, I'm in mule deer country. Um, there's always a spotting scope. And, you know, the Arca Swiss head always lets me put my scope onto my camera tripod. So it's a it's an interplay there. And, and I definitely do both. Um Oh, double dipping on the IRS. I see. I yeah. see. You're running, running the hunting <laughs> business on the back yeah. of the yeah. photography business. I, I, I'm guilty of that myself. <laughs> well, might I remind you, um, you know, if you don't love it, don't do it. I, so I would agree. <laughs> yeah. You got, you got to love it. it it's got to be a passion and, you know, don't make it a hobby. Do something that like, uh, if, if I do anything, it's to add value. And to create value for people. And so, um, you know, at the end of the day, for me, even though I don't want to, I don't want to guide people. I'm not interested in guiding people. I'm not interested in, you know, scouting for people. I'm not interested in, uh, muddying the water for my love of hunting. I do want to be able to provide value and add value to an industry that I love. So, um, there's no doubt about it. I'm packing a spotting scope in my pack and going out and taking photographs and, um, you know, shooting collections for my collectors who buy my limited edition artworks. And, and yeah, it's, it's a, it's a full-time gig. I spend, uh, I spend a, an enormous amount of time in the field and it's, it's by design, right? It's, it's because that's what I love and that's what I want to do with my life. Um, so I, I get out as much as I can. Now you're a family man. You have wife and kids, right? Uh, not married at the present time. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, that, that could be subject to change. Um, I got a really wonderful, uh, woman in my life. She's, uh, you know, great and really, to be honest, amazing. Um, and, uh, I have a little boy, he's uh, 12. 
um, and just uh, have him full time. And um, yeah, I, I absolutely am a family guy. I all like, right, so uh, you, you have to carve out the time for work and hunting and all that stuff. Onyx Hunt is the number one GPS hunting app in the industry. And one reason they're leading is because they're continually providing updates to the Onyx Hunt app. Updates like the new Onyx in-dash navigation suite. From the time you slide into the seat of your vehicle, viewing Onyx Hunt with CarPlay and Android Auto allows you to easily flow from Onyx to the road in front of you, ensuring you know exactly where you are and how to get where you're heading. Want directions to a certain point in the Onyx Hunt app, but don't want to keep glancing at your phone? Use the Navigate To feature to navigate to your saved waypoints. This is true off-road navigation for hunters. You can now use the Onyx Hunt app hands-free and have access to your map markups, public-private boundaries, routing, offline maps, and more. Do it all from the seat of your truck. If you're ready to make the jump, save 20% by using the code ROCKCAST at checkout. Yeah, well, see, I, um, I'm guilty of taking my boy out of school all the time, so I, I bring him with me whenever I get a chance to, and, and he's actually grown up outdoors. I don't, um, I don't want to exploit him on social media. Um, sure. I don't think it's, I think it's important to not like exploit your home, your family, your children, things you do, uh, on social media is nobody's business in my opinion. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you choose to, that's you, that's what's just me. I, I don't, uh, I'm not the kind of person that's going to go to a nice restaurant, show you my food and everybody that I'm with and tag them all. And it's just, that's right. This is about, this is about a species that I'm in love with. Uh, you know, it's about them, their habitat and my pursuits in the mountains hunting them. So I, I tend not to share too much about, uh, the other side of my life just simply because I keep, uh, what I consider, you know, everything that's personal, personal. And then, um, you know, the essence or the ethos of the field is, is, more of what gray lights about all right and I, and I respect that i really do but i've heard you talk about your little boy before i think that's pretty cool um great that you take him out of school man that's like pulling teeth around here to get my kids out of school of course my son will probably graduate on time your son is 12 and probably still in the first grade if i'm reading between the lines here <laughs> you're not you're not far from the truth i <laughs> i uh i i get in trouble every year um by the district they're they're always telling me you know he doesn't he doesn't go to school enough and yep. uh, i make sure of course he's doing his homework and that we're keeping him up to date when he's on the road but you know they want those in-seat school hours and and it's interesting because i personally never uh went to school uh except for my senior year of high school mm-hmm. um so i don't i don't have that traditional education right um you were homeschooled like I, I just uh, Rob, Robbie, uh, be honest with you. I, I wasn't even homeschool. I, so I take that back. I had, he was like my third and second and fourth year of homeschool, like second grade and fourth mm-hmm. grade homeschool. Mm-hmm. But then that was it. Like there, there was no books, no nothing Wow. from, you know, when I was a kid to like my senior year of high school, I matriculated in at the age of 17 and graduated high school. Um, I, I did not, you know, necessarily enjoy it, um, but I got through it. Um, it wasn't hard. It just didn't interest me. And uh, I sailed around the world when I was a kid. So I'm sure, you know, people that have listened to me before, they've heard that I've sailed and all that. But 
Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, I did hear that. Yeah, I, I just, it just, uh, school was not a thing to me and I didn't learn, uh, how to be, you know, there's nothing that school taught me about business or leadership or entrepreneurialism or this nothing that really made a difference from the standpoint of, uh, our monetary system, self-governance, discipline, building or scaling anything, uh, servant leadership, none of that. So I just kind of, I, I don't overall don't really have like a huge, you know, tremendously great view on school. I think school's broken. Um, and that's not me going out and giving a badge to people just to sit there and say school's no good because school does have its place. And, you know, it, I think that school is important. I'm speaking in terms of me only. So I, I don't want to, uh, get it misconstrued here that I would suggest everybody doesn't go to school. I just, I, I was just a self-starter and, you know, kind of knew what I wanted to do, um, from a very young age. And, and that's just, what I did. Um, hey, as man, a result that, that, of that, that's leadership right there because we're seeing it now. And, you know, one of the great internet thought leaders, if there is one, is Seth Godin. And he talks about that all the time that there's a difference between schooling and education. And the, you can get educated anyway now. I mean, we've got tons of ways to get educated. And that's what's important is, is the education part, not where you got it. And you just, you just demonstrated that you, you didn't even get it in the four walls of a school, at least for the most part. Yet you still graduated from high school, gone on to be successful, run successful businesses, you know, created, created the only mule deer app out there right now. I mean, that your case in point right there that traditional education it, it it's it, i'm not against it either i mean i'm i'm saving up for my kids college if they want to go but i talk to them all the time about it's more about learning you guys you know you can get your education anywhere and well, i think more and more it's going to not come from the four walls of an institution so you know the interesting part is not only do i agree with you on that but really break down that the principles of you know what you do in your life for work. Almost everybody out there. And and back when I helped scale one of the largest, second largest non-bank consumer direct lenders in the United States, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't have an education. I just had a very strong sales and leadership background. And at that point, they wanted me to help build this huge company that went from 12 people to like 8,700 full-time employees. And you know, I spent a little bit of time in corporate America and fintech doing that. And and, and while I was doing that, I, I noticed something really important that there were all these people getting um, very expensive um, MBAs and bachelor's degrees and, and whatnot in these different particular categories of which they uh, were underperforming. Basically, the salaries that they were making based off of that piece of paper weren't able to pay for the uh, price of admission to the education they had purchased mm-hmm, right. uh, and acquired. And, and that little mortgage payment that they settled on their over their head before they were the age of 20 when they went into graduate school um, was something that was a, a very large ball and chain that was almost drowning them in an uphill current. And they would come to me asking for a job in sales because they saw all these people making a lot of money. And lo and behold, a lot of these people were, you know, people that decided, well, my degree is not making any money, so I'm going to go try and sell. And the same thing kind of applies to mule deer hunting. Like it it really has to do with a dialogue that you have with yourself Mm -hmm. more than anything else. Like I can't have a conversation with you. You can't have the conversation with them. There's nobody that can tell them except for get a mirror, 
sit in front of it, look at it, and what do you see? And if if you are doing everything that you want to be doing, you're going to look at yourself and be super, super stoked. You're going to be really happy. You're going to be like, man, I'm, you know, you know, happy with A to Z. Like I'm exactly where I want to be. Or you're going to sit there and go, gosh, you know, you could get up a little earlier. And and see, that's the that's the bedroom talk that you can have with yourself. It's almost like that moment where you're able to lay your head on the pillow look at the ceiling at night before you pass out and what kind of thoughts go through your head. You're either doing enough on track, going where you want to be going and headed the direction that fulfills everything that you want in your life. Or you're going to sit there and go, Oh man, I have a lot of work to do. So where do I start? And you know, that, that has a lot to do with like people trying to do anything that they want in life. You're either A, kidding yourself, or B, doing everything you want. And I think that, um, I don't necessarily think that school empowers people to do that. However, if you know what you want to do and the trade that you're looking to get into requires a certain degree, then I think school is great. Yeah, But if you're just going there trying to find like a clue, it's a really bad reason to go spend a lot of money. Oh yeah, so, I got I got people that work for me that are a quarter million dollars in debt and making twenty five bucks an hour, and I'm like, whoa, yeah. whoa, whoa, yeah. that is like life altering. You almost cannot overcome that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's especially with the interest rates and you know how 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 that's calculated, simple interest or not, right? Like that's going to cost you a lot in finance charges. Yep, it's going to cost you a lot at not to you know think that you're not only taxed on your income, but you're taxed on compound taxes, such as sales tax and every other yep. type of GST that's out there. So I think that really the most successful school that should be put into play is a school that educates you on how to manage your money and how right. to be a leader in your own life and truly look yourself in the mirror and say, hey, what do I want? And then from there, start making some decisions. But um, we don't live in a society that's geared that way. We're live, living in a society which, you know, was built to be geared towards, hey, everybody does the same thing. Let's pop out as many cookies out of the mold as we can. Let's make as much white picket fence as pro- possible. Um, and, you know, everybody marches to the same beat. You know, everybody gets, uh, I mean, it's just the same thing with politics and governance and, and uh, yeah, vaccines right. and all on down the list. I mean, you, you just, you, you either are plug and play and you're ready to go and do what you're told, or, you know, you kind of decide, oh, I kind of want to maybe do something a little bit different. doesn't mean you don't love your country. It doesn't mean you don't love God. It doesn't mean your heart's not in the right place, but you right. just kind of have a different, maybe leadership model inside your mind of what uh, you want to manifest as far as what, you know, family and future looks like. And 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 I know why we're why we're going this way, even though this is not on the outline, is because this this leads to freedom. And 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 I kind of smell like you're not in debt here. Is is or or there's you've take you you've put everything in place so that you're able to go and hunt and do all the things that you do, and it's not a hardship on your family. Am am I right? Yeah, no, it's not a hardship on my family. It's, gotcha, it's, gotcha. No, and that that took some intentionality. And I've done the same thing. I mean, I, I, I I've been out of out of debt since 2008. I don't borrow money. I cut up all the credit cards. I got free from all that stuff. And a lot of that was just following God's word. You know, it, it says in Proverbs that the 
um, that the borrower is slave to the lender. And I learned that as a very young person. And because I had been around some people who got heavily in debt and I just saw what a drag it was on their life. And just in my innocence of being like 19, I'm like, no, I want to go deer hunt, man. I don't, I don't want to have to make a bunch of payments here. You know, I'll, I'll drive an old truck. I'll do whatever. And, and, you know, then luckily I met my wife, Jody, who was, who was kind of okay with this guy who had old pants on and drove an old truck. And of course we've got through all that now. And I actually have some pretty good pants now and a decent truck too. <laughs> um, but it was freedom. It was freedom. And that's what I, I hear you kind of saying that you you found this path that, that, that's given you this freedom now, uh, but, you know, because following you on Instagram, dude, it looks like, well, the reason I reached out to you today, it, it, I felt like it was probably the first day you've really been home and got settled since you started hunting in late August, correct? Uh, well, yeah, I haven't been home much. Uh, you know, I got, got done with my hunt and yeah, now I'm settling back in and kind of just getting, uh, getting my, my bearings back around business and dealing with, um, clients and just, you know, just catching up on everything. Um, but yeah, it's been a busy, but But you set your life up so you could go do that. That was intentional, right? Yeah, for sure. No, no question about it. There you go. So let's roll into this next segment about this hunt I I keep mentioning. And that was why I wanted to get you on the podcast because I thought it was so classic. This was not an easy hunt. Um, I think I read most of your posts when I could get service, I would check them. Um, cause you know, I was, it was like a story unfolding and it looked like it started off really hard and it didn't look like it was going to end well. And then in gray light style, I, I opened my app one, one mid afternoon, I had service and bam, there you are with another really nice buck. Um, and so I wanted to kind of go back through that just a little bit. You can jump in anytime here. Um, but some of the high points I noticed from it was you said right away that, look, I'm in a unit that had a great reputation at one time and it, and it's still riding on that reputation, but it's nowhere near what it used to be. Did I get that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Spot on. And the reason I thought that was a good point, because there, there are so many units like that now. Um, and, and mule deer have always been in in flux. You know, I talked to guys that were hunting in the sixties and seventies, things were changing then. Um, you know, my friend, Kurt Darner, no matter how you feel about him, he's had, he had, you know, decades of mule deer experience. And he always said, you know, like every 10 years, everything changes and you got to change too. And, and, and so that was kind of the first thing I picked up on this hunt was that you, you were in a unit that had a great reputation, but one of the first things that you recognize is that was an old reputation. It's not living up to it now. Correct. Not at all. Yeah. And, and I think it's, you know, to be honest, I mean, in all fairness, I think the genetics are there. Uh, it's just management strategies and styles that are, that are occurring right now with, uh, changes of the guard and thought processes. Mm-hmm. whether that be monetary or policy wise mm-hmm. um that uh, aren't simply aren't allowing uh any age class to to deliver what it once did you know a decade ago mm-hmm. yet the yet reading your post there um and you know anybody wants to to follow this story backwards go back to about august 25th on his instagram page and just start scrolling back up and reading the post and you'll catch up on this um but it sounded like a lot of the hunters that were there they they weren't hunting that way they were still uh living living the dream that it was still going to produce because of the unit that it was and i mean it kind of sounded like a nightmare hunt you were talking about you know every morning everybody's showing up to these basins they brought multiple spotters i'm assuming you didn't mean spotting scopes they brought people with them who didn't have a tag and uh, to spot deer is that right yeah 
Yeah, it, it was uh, it was a little bit of a war of attrition. So so basically, you know, I'm not complaining or nothing. I mean, really, at the end of the day, um, doesn't matter where you are. There's always country where you can get away and go do your thing. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to be hunting the biggest animal on the unit, though, if you do that. And mm-hmm. so I had gone uh, into the unit several times. Um, scouting and looking um and i had found you know the top what i would consider the top three to five bucks in the entire unit that you know were were, were shooters and i i went into every basin mm-hmm. and spent the time looking and i knew where the shooters were um, this is obviously the kind of country in the time of year when you can look at a lot of bucks I mean, it's pretty open mountainous type country oh yeah and and numbers aren't an issue i mean there, there's a ton of you know one and a half to two and a half year old stuff it's just the three and a half and older were so so even the deer that we ended up hunting uh, there wasn't a single deer on the mountain i don't think it was really i think there was one deer that was maybe five and a half Mm -hmm. but everything else was three and a half to four Mm -hmm. and a half of the shooters right Mm -hmm. everything else is one and a half two and a half year old deer Mm -hmm. um and and you know, that is what it is. It doesn't mean there's not a good uh, experience to be had. It's just that you have um, a lot of hunters that have a lot of time invested in acquiring the tag. Mm-hmm. And they're all going to be serious about it based off of the, the the reputation that precedes it. And they're looking for the same genealogy within an age class, within, you know, what they characterize as that particular hunt. So they're going in there with a certain expectation set. And when you have, you know, several dozen guys piling in on three of the biggest deer, boy, it makes for really like nobody's getting anything. I mean, I saw some, some really interesting things. Like nobody cared about thermal diurnal shift went out the window. It's like one guy's dropping on off this ridge. There's another guy dropping up off this peak. And then two guys are going off next to you. And you're like, wow, I'm just going to sit and watch because there's, no point in me going in after it. We're just going to, let's, let's just see where he goes. <laughs> um, yeah. I picked that up was, in, in your, in your post that they like, and was it, were these guys doing this because they were trying to like be the first one to the buck? Did they know these other guys were there or were they just literally like, Hey, it's nine o'clock in the morning. I should be stalking this buck. Yeah. Everybody knew everybody was there. It's, it's, it's almost impossible not to see everybody Scott skyline you know spotting scope set up everybody talking there there, it was um so they're really just trying to be the first guy to the buck with a bow you know (laughs) yeah i guess i mean it's like because you can only get so close right before it doesn't matter how doesn't matter what you plan on doing you gotta hold up at some point because of the wind like Mm -hmm. otherwise it's just a waste so it's kind of a it was a weird kind of a chess match. Um, I mean, ultimately, you know, after a week of that, I just get this, like muzzleloader is going to start and then, you know, the invasion of orange is going to come. I am not going to stick around for that because then it's just, in my opinion, totally over, not necessarily totally over, but exponentially more challenging. Uh, and so I just kind of like said, you know what, you guys can go ahead and hash this out, have a good time. And I'm going to go find a little, slice of serenity somewhere else on a, on another buck. And, and you know, that it's funny. Like I find a buck, I go in there, bet him up, get the thermals, right. Go kill him. Right. It, it's, it's like, it's like clock. It can be like clockwork. 
uh, it, and it really ultimately just depends on what you want out of the experience. And I, I just chose that I, I kind of wanted to back away from all that and go have, uh, have my own experience. Well, that's why it was so interesting to follow because um, I, I feel the same way as I just cannot combat hunt deer, especially archery. And I don't know if you saw that film I released last spring uh, called Breaking the Slump, but the best buck in that film, if you really pay attention, is a 30 inch 190 class buck. And I filmed him in the summer. And then I make the comment, I didn't even go back after him because there were minimum two other guys and one of them associated with a very good outfitter that were in the area and they knew about the buck. I know they knew about the buck. I could tell by the questions they were asking me, they were just really needling me about why I was there, what I was going to do, you know, stuff like that. And, and I just bowed out because I, I just, number one, I know the chance of, of me out hunting those guys. Cause it's not really about out hunting them. It's who's going to get lucky, you know, and you, and you end up, having to make decisions like what you were talking about, like I got to be the first one to the buck. And oh man, that never, for me, that, that is not part of the process. I can't be in a hurry. And so I did, I just walked away from the buck and it, and it sounds like that's what you did on this hunt. You, you, you put up with it for a week and then you pulled, pulled out, obviously went somewhere else in, in, in the same unit and you had a buck down within a day. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, see that, see that's the thing is, is that, it's not, they're not, they're, you, you and I both know this. You're, you're very accomplished. You understand behavior. Um, it's not hard. It's, uh, once you, you know, once you set sights and you have a basin, a buck in a basin by yourself and, and you wait for that shift to occur, it's, it's it is like clockwork. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I just, I wasn't able to get that opportunity in there. And so it, it's not that, I didn't want to compete or the, you know, I'm crying about it at the end of the day. Oh, it's all good. If, if these guys want to go at it that hard and that's perfectly fine. Uh, it's not my cup of tea. It's not the type of hunting that I desire or the style of hunting that I desire. So, you know, I, I just left them to, to do their thing with it. And I went out and truly with all my heart had a really quality experience. Um, so it ended up on, you know, a high note where I'm very fulfilled with my experience there um and and had a great time and shot a beautiful archery deer and um you know i wouldn't change it for the world um but but the the combat style of hunting is definitely it does it doesn't get deer killed it it uh if anything i want to be looked at as someone who's good for um the sport which to me isn't even a sport it's like a lifestyle it's a passion and a love but i want to be looked at as good for hunting uh, I don't want to be viewed as unsportsmanlike. And, uh, so I, you know, we, we, there was a couple of times where I ran into guys and we're literally like looking at each other and, you know, for lack of a better word, we're kind of like burning holes through each other as soon as we made eye contact, like, oh, really, you know? And so. Was this, was this on the, on a stock on, on a stock or you oh, just yeah, generally stock, running into them? On a stock inside of 150 yards, you know hand gestures motioning arrows knocked like what are you doing you know what are you doing here and it's yeah. just like okay yeah. i i yeah. you know and so i i went up and you know and a couple of them you know tried to try to get a little mouthy and verbally uh, uh. confrontational with me and and even even attempted uh threatening and i'm not i i don't i just i don't put up with that crap like i just 
but at the same time, I'm not going to entertain it. Um, I'm there to hunt. I'm not there to puff my chest out. I could care less what, you know, what status or level you are. It doesn't matter to me. I'm, I'm here to bow hunt. It's about the deer. And so, you know, I'm more of a conflict resolution oriented type person. So I just said, Hey, um, let's do a, a quick game of Rochambeau and, uh, whoever wins, then, you know, you back out mm-hmm. and whoever doesn't, well, go get the deer. Mm-hmm. Because what what's what's the result? Let's let's put down our packs and our bows, and you know, let's smash each other's faces in right here. I mean, you know, I, I can right. take care of myself, and sure, we can do that, but I guarantee you, that's not what either of us want. So let's just try and be sportsmen. And yeah, like isn't that just like the most distasteful even thought? You know, to have that kind of energy even in the field. I, I ooh, yuck. yeah, I, I don't like it, it at all. It's total ick, man. Yeah. And so. To be honest with you, I did that for about a week and had, you know, a few poor run-ins where like, I mean, I was sleeping on the mountain, dude. Like I was sleeping on the mountain. Guys knew I was there. I was hunting it. They didn't care. Right. Like I, I spent my time on, I was there before, you know, opener, like camped out. Like it was, there was no question that I was the first one there. And, and, but it, it really, at the end of the day, I can't blame anybody else either. Like you can't blame somebody else. They put a lot of time in too. I'm not the well, only yeah, guy. The, the pressure time. of the tag of having a tag that takes years to draw mm-hmm. and uh, you know, all yeah. of that stuff, you know, that's why I'm kind of down on draw hunts. If we don't have to have them is it, it can bring a, it can bring a lot of pressure that you, that you, that you don't need and that you actually, actually you can't even compete with as, especially as a, yeah. bull well, even as a rifle. So, 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 the, the, so ultimately at the end of the day, like, I don't blame anybody. You know what I mean? I, I really don't like I under, if anything, right, I yeah, understand. Yeah. And, and I just put it in terms of like, here's how we can resolve it. Here's how we can figure out how to like all get along. And here's how we can walk off the mountain friends instead of like fighting. And then, uh, you know, on the other side of it, and this can all be avoided with just managing the age class better based off of what the hunt's supposed to be. And I know that there's initiatives driven around, uh, CWD or chronic wasting disease and age class and all that happening right now. So I know that, that that we're in flux with a lot of different things from the scientific side Yep. that really kind of infringe on that, which at the end of the day, we can't really help that right now, but hopefully in the next two or three years, we'll start to see a change in that and maybe some, some kind of like different management strategies and practices being employed as a result of it. Because to be honest with you, if age class was up how it normally is, you probably wouldn't have seen that. Does that make sense? Because you're going to start seeing that four and a half to five and a half year old deer spread out all over the place and the the numbers are there. So, you know, there was enough basins, enough places for that many archers to be able to go out and have their own experience on the type of buck that they would want um, and not have those type of uh, instances occur. So to be honest with you, all in all, I'm I'm not going to complain. I had a great experience. Um, uh, you know, if anything, it made me uh, just focus more on conflict management and resolution and helping people calm down and just relax and and hey, look, we're all here just to have a good time. So let's just go have a good time. Uh, I walked out of the basin a few times and you know did not win Rochambeau, so it was all good. And at the end of the day, I'm like, you know what, Muzzy's getting close. I'm just going to go pop a really nice deer. What is that word? Is that like a fancy word for rock, paper, scissors, man? You're, you're losing this country boy here. Oh yeah, man. Rock, paper, scissors. One, what what one, did you call it? Rochambeau? 
Yeah, Rochambeau, <laughs> just a, a real quick game of rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> never, just, never heard it called that, dude. This must be a Cali thing. Probably. <laughs> yeah, but don't ever call me a Californian. <laughs> oh, I don't. I don't. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I mean, you know, it, it, all in all, it was uh, it was a memorable experience. I had a good time. Well, tell me this: Would you go back to that unit? So um, my thoughts are is that no, I will not go back to the unit until the age class. Well, so yes, I will go back to the unit, but I'll be watching more how management strategies are practiced uh, and what the uh, the management recommendations are. And then based off of winters, fawn recruitment, uh, based off of the habitat, um, and then objective or management policies in moving forward will dictate when uh, I'll place myself there again. Great. Um, on the unit reputation, um, you know, and I just find myself more and more trying to get away from that is, you know, the unit reputation, it never dies, even if, even if the unit is not producing anymore. People still live in the dream. The big bucks are here. I know I just got to find them. You know, they're nocturnal, you know, that kind of stuff. Yet I hear you saying, oh, I'm not even looking at it. You're not living on myth. You're not living on legend. You're, you're going to look at the hard data. What What's the plans for the unit? You know, has anything changed? You know, buck to doe ratio, age class, you know, things like that, winners, all that kind of stuff. That That's, that's how you're going to make your decision, not just the unit's reputation. Yeah, well, so a unit's reputation is always going to proceed itself um, because genetics are genetics. If you have an area or a canyon that only produces forkies, like there's a ton of country out here in California, it'll only produce a forky. I don't care how much you dream and hope and pray that there's a four point in there. Yeah. There will never be a four point in there. It's just going to yeah. have forkies in it. Just like out in the desert, there's plenty of three point genetics. There's a lot of places and basins in the high country where I've seen giant three points and they fork off of the g2 right like and just slick main beam giant frame three by threes and they're in that one drainage and you know you might see a couple of young four points in there but never anything mature and all the mature bucks are just giant slicked out threes and like that goes for every unit across the west no matter where it is genetics play a huge role in how uh, a unit is predisposed and what's going to express itself so my main things are just looking at okay so you already know the genetics are there there's going to be one or two big bucks even on a crap year in any unit however you're just going to want to decide you want to slug it out and um really at the end of the day i, I don't want to slug it out that hard i'd rather be by myself somewhere quiet and have a quality experience and you know you know maybe take a, a, a not such a big deer not such an old deer just because i would prefer to have the experience over the the inches i and i think that's great marlon i'm glad i'm glad you said that i didn't put it in the outline but i was going to ask you at some point I, I i've always respected that you don't bill yourself as just only hunting giant deer you bill yourself as a mule deer hunter You've taken some great deer. I've seen seen some of those bucks you've taken. But just like on this hunt, you you didn't just like die on that hill of I got to have a big deer. And you know the deer you shot is a great deer, but you know you were chasing better. And I and I thought that was great. I thought that 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 that's a good balance, you know. And sometimes I haven't had that. I'm like you know giant or nothing. And then all of a sudden January rolls around. Well, it's nothing. You know I'm eating chicken <laughs> again. 
you know, and, and so anyways, much respect for you for, for being adaptable like that. I think, you know, everybody can make that personal decision on, 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 on that. That's why I like to talk about units, reputations, and just let people know that, you know, you can't kill what's not there. And uh, so go back through those post people. You can, you can take a look at some of the bigger bucks that he was hunting, uh, the combat, the combat bucks, we'll call them. And then the buck that I don't even want to say you settled on because you didn't even that that was what was cool. You don't, you don't come on and apologize and, you know, oh man, he's had to take this buck and blah. No, you show just as much respect for that buck as, as other bucks. And, and I like that to me, that's refreshing. And, and I've seen this on rock slide. Like a lot of guys are just coming on saying, man, quit complaining about the buck you shot. You know, we're tired of hearing it. And, and, and I had to like, think about that. Like, man, do I do that? Like, oh yeah, I finally shot this one. It was the last day. So, oh, well. And, you know, that's, that's not good energy to put out there. And, you know, I'm not being thankful for the hunt and the meat and all that stuff. Yeah. I always want a giant, give me a giant every hunt. I want a giant, but, um, you know, the reality of it is, is, is that, you know, this is an animal's life, you know, created by God, given to man. Um, and, and there, there's a level of respect there. Kudos to you for upholding that. And, um, and, and that's why I wanted to talk about this hunt that to me, I, that was what stood out to me was, was that you were adaptable. You pulled out of there. You got a, you got a really nice buck still and using the process that we keep talking about. And, uh, man, I, I hope you're, you're really satisfied with that hunt. It seems like you are. No, I, I, I'm super stoked on it. I mean, last year, um, I went up into the high country. I did not find a deer that, that I wanted. And granted, I could have, you know, I could have killed something. So I think it's more about nowadays that I just simply won't kill something unless it does call to me. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I wouldn't disrespect the animal by, you know, saying, oh, I'm just a dink, you know, last day buck. Like, to be honest with you, I'm just not going to shoot one if that's how I feel about it. Yeah, me too. Um, that's how I feel about it too. Like that sometimes that's the ultimate decision maker for me is if I'm just going to regret shooting this animal, let's just let him go. You know, I can still mm -hmm. buy chicken. I can, I can buy some beef, you know, I mean, I love yep. venison, my favorite preferred meat, but, but yeah, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. And I, and, and that's why I want to talk about that a little bit and just kind of get that out there. Maybe to some of our younger crowd, we I know social media is a hard driver, you know, it's, it's, it's rigged. The system is rigged to tap into our brain and dopamine hits and all that kind of stuff. I get it. I've fallen into that too, but never forget why, why we're there. And in the process, I, you know, that, that, that that's a little word, but it, it takes in so much. And I can tell, you know, Marlon, that you've, you've, you've thought that through. And and to me, you know, I, I just got off of 113 out of the last 16 days. I got all my tags in my pocket here. And, you know, I had, I had to think about that on the mountain, like, like, you know, I'm, I'm not failing. I mean, I just didn't get a deer. It's not failure. Um, I used to use those words and I didn't like, I didn't like that either because it's just like, you know, spitting in God's face. Like, oh, this was a big failure. No, it wasn't, man. I just spent, you know, like seven days in great deer country and, and you know, had a great time. And, and, and I had, you know, the other, go ahead. The other side of it is, it's like, I don't know when I, when I think Robbie Denning, I, I think of a guy that, you know, you're like a living legend. I, I don't think that if, if somebody said, well, gosh, Robbie, you suck, you failed, you, you didn't get what you were after, I kind of think and to myself, well, they're missing the point entirely because I guarantee you, if you wanted to walk off the mountain with a buck, you could walk off the mountain with a buck. It's not a matter of whether you can or can't. It's more of you showing yourself maturity and restraint in the hunt and a desire to do something and get something and achieve something a little bit more in uh in what it is that you're in pursuit of i 
anymore don't don't look at a at a smaller young buck and think to myself, "Go, I'm going to get that on the last day." I I would rather just keep my tag. And for those that that want to, I mean, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I think where the 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 part that comes into play that's no good is when you're just doing it so that way, um, you know, you killed something and everybody can give you the attaboys. Then then I think it's gone because I know that if I were to complain about the buck that I just shot. I would look like a complete idiot because if you look at that buck, he's pretty much got it all. Yeah. Like there's nothing that that buck doesn't have that I'm not sitting there going, wow, he's rad. I'm I'm jacked up about him. He's got deep force. He's got great mass. He's, he just, he carries it all the way. He's got, you know, a decent level of maturity. He's not an old, old buck, but he's one of the older bucks that was on the hill out there. and, And that's why I choose to take him to you know to harvest them and 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 you know i've been having some amazing meals with my family as a result and have a beautiful set of antlers to to memorize to you know remember the hunt by but like there's a lot of guys that would absolutely love to have a deer like that and if i were to sit there and not be thankful or grateful of that that would be that would show poor sportsmanship on my part it really would it really would yeah and and that's not how i want to characterize or remember um you know, what I think of, of my hunts. And so last year when I came off the mountain and I didn't, didn't arrow one, it's because I really honestly would have shot something and been like, what did I do that for? Like that was nothing but a, that was nothing but a social media play. There was nothing there that made me excited at all. And so, you know, I didn't shoot one and it was the first time in like what, 17 years, something like mm-hmm. that, that I didn't kill something in the high country. And it was a total choice. Like, I stood above multiple deer that were in that like 150, 160 class. But to be honest, I didn't see anything bigger. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, I remember, I, I remember last year you were really focusing on big deer and just weren't able to turn one over. It was rough. It was really rough. I mean, I saw more little deer than I could even shake a stick at it. And it is what it is. Like I still had a great time. The memories were there. The country was beautiful. There's nothing that'll ever, um, get out of my mind than sitting over a basin at 12 or 13,000 feet with some rocks around listening to those little pikas trip out and oh, yeah. go out into a basin. It's like watching the sun come up, the pikas, the chill of the air, little bachelor group feeding out there. There is just something about that that is more magical than it, it is the very essence of life itself. So, um, uh, beautiful, I'm, man. It, beautiful. I love, lo- love it. Yeah. I, 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 that's why I, you know, for anybody, especially young guys, just, just go, go, go check, check out his presence on social media. And I think it's some of the best that's out there. And um, that's why I wanted to jump into that today. But I also want to hit a couple other things too. Um, you know, the fact that you've taken 60 mule deer with a bow, I mean, that's just mind boggling to me, Marlon. Um, um, and uh, give our listeners um, just your, your, your high level, low level, whatever on stalking that many bucks, what do we need to do to improve our stalking game? Because I've, I've met you, Marlon, you're no small sack of potatoes. Uh, you're a big dude. Um, how tall are you? Um, six, three, six, three, what? Two twenty. Uh, 253 right now. 253. My gosh, buddy. Yeah, you're you're a monster. Now, one of the best mule deer stalkers I know is Jared Bloomgren. Um, uh, and 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 this dude is 
I don't know, five, six, uh, maybe smaller. No offense, Jared. I mean, he's a small sack of spuds. This dude could stalk a mule deer on a football field. And, um, and, and, you know, he's just got the gift of, of stalking, but there's not a lot to hide. You got a lot to hide, Marlon. Tell us about the stock. How are you getting this done on 60 mule deer? And, you know, it doesn't sound like you're some long range bomb launcher either. I mean, how are you getting this done? Um, so, you know, one day I, I really need to sit down and actually count them. Um, I think it's probably well North of 60 at this point. I think it's a, f- a fair bit more than that, but, um, without, without really sitting down and thinking about it, I, I, I mean, it, you know, I think I look at the basics, right? I really look at the basics. First off, I don't even have a hundred yard pin. I don't have a slider sight. Mm-hmm. I have a fixed seven pin sight. I start at 30 yards and go to 90. Okay. And my average, if I average all of them out, my average shot is 53 yards. I generally don't take a shot past 80. I mean, everything's usually inside of that. Mm-hmm. And another one of my rules is I don't like to be any closer than 40. Like if I get to 40, I'm kind of like, eh, I don't really want to be any closer. I, this is, this is the zone where they pick up, they pick up on stuff that you can't calibrate for. You cannot account for the stuff that they're going to pick up at 40 yards. The wind's going to switch. It's going to do a little, you can have the best sustained wind straight in your face. And then all of a sudden, just for a quick second, there's just going to be like an eddy pool that's created off the cliff that you're right behind or something. It's just, it's just stuff that you like don't want to have to deal with when you're hunting. Um, so, so you're kind of like, like four, 40 to 60. Is that your sweet spot? I, I oh, like 53. At, I guess you just said it. 53 yards I, is your average. I like to be at 50. I like to be at 50. That's where I want to be. I want to be at 50. If I'm at 60 or 70, I'm totally comfortable with that. But if I'm at 70, to be honest with you, I'm going to work myself in closer because I can't. Like there's almost no situation where you're at 70 and you can't get closer. It's almost always you have the ability, even when deer are flat out, like looking at you for whatever reason, when you're inside of a hundred yards and you're totally visible and there's like maybe just a little bit of brush, but like you're still visible and they're bedded, they still like close their eyes or nod out or they're chewing their cud. And the little bit of like, if you try and chew bubble gum, but you're sleepy and you're like kind of chewing bubble gum in your sleep and you kind of just like lay yeah. on the beach, just going <laughs> at like something could be 80 yards away from you and starting to get closer. You're probably not going to know about it. Like, so yeah. deer, you got to re- realize that just like humans and everything else, you can kind of be in somebody's living room. And unless it's really, truly obvious, there's a lot you can get away with inside of that range and they're really not going to notice. And I take advantage of that all the time. Like even in really, really open country, I'll be doing some pretty risky moves that technically could get you really busted and messed up pretty quick. But usually it's that like 10 yard stretch before the next bush and you're laterally working. But as long as that 10 yard stretch takes you an hour and a half, they don't notice. You could, you know, shuffle, crab shuffle over about a yard and stop and just sit there for like five or 10 minutes and look out at the horizon and chill out. And they're still doing their thing, you know, and, and do it again. And of course, all really super slow, fluid, non-noisy movements. 
Um, I never take off my boots. I always. I was gonna win. say I that always... you are not a sock stalker. You leave those great big flipping boots on that 250 pound body, and you still get in there. The Rockcast is also powered by Magview Gear. Step up your digiscoping game with the most streamlined digiscoping adapter in the industry. Magview pioneered a new era of digiscoping with its universal minimalistic spotting scope and binocular adapters. The system is designed to eliminate the frustrations and inconveniences found in traditional digiscoping systems. Magview's multifunctional system consists of three interchangeable designs, the S1 spotting scope adapter, the B1 binocular adapter, and the Magview phone plate. All Magview systems create an incredibly strong, stable digiscoping platform and only require a super thin stainless steel plate adhered to the phone to secure it to the optic. No more bulky phone cases, no more optic-specific adapters. MagView is the digiscoping choice for minimalist hunters looking for one adapter to fit most in-class optics. Many Rockslide members and staff have chosen the MagView system. You can see our in-depth review at rockslide.com and the Rockslide YouTube channel. To discover more about MagView gear, visit magviewgear.com for full specification, installation videos, and tips and tricks. Start capturing your own MagView moments today. I will never take my boots off and I will never put stalkers on. And 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 that that is I heard you say that on Aaron's podcast on the Kafaru cast um, I don't know last last year and I thought that is so interesting and and I just released an episode on September thirteenth on the Rockcast people go back and listen to that um, I I I lost a buck I think because I took the time to stop and take my boots off and and and, and you know this it's not that he heard me or anything like that. That few minutes it took me to take him off, he got up and moved out of the bed that he was in, and I ended up way closer to him than what I thought. I thought he was like 80, 100 yards down, 100 yards plus down the hill. Well, once I got my boots off, lost that five minutes, got my head up over the brush and went 15 yards. My goodness, I'm in his living room, and he had gotten up and walked out the bottom. And uh, and so, anyway, it's just kind of a side story to agree with you was there was a case right there where taking off the boots didn't help me. Might have cost me. So, so here, here's the the kind of my two cent cent takeaway. You can look for it's the same mirror look. It's the same look in the mirror. Like you look yourself in the mirror. Say, what kind of hunter are you? Your equipment is only going to take you so far mm-hmm. before you're just going to have to sit there and admit to yourself where are my strengths and where are my weaknesses, and work on only your weaknesses. And it, cause nothing else matters. I mean, between you, God, the animal, the mountain, like nobody's helping you on the stock. So whether you lie to yourself or lie to us or lie to anybody, it doesn't matter at the end of the day, like you're either getting it done or you're not. So where are the areas that you're not getting it done and focusing on those areas as you're coming to Jesus moments to figure out like where the holes are in your game and then, you know, fixing it and, and then getting closer as a result of it. I've just found over the years that too much happens when your boots are off, like mm-hmm. a lot of times those deer don't stay where they were bedded. And then, yeah, your boots are 200 yards back up the mountain, yep. the opposite direction of deer's feeding. And you're yep. sitting there going, okay, well now I have a decision to make either go a quarter mile without my boots or, you know, go back and get my boots. And, and I just got tired of it. Now I'm just like, you know what? I'm keeping my boots on my feet and there's a way to get around on this. And, and the thing is that people 
maybe don't necessarily like grab onto and understand is that it's not about noise. Like there's so much noise out there mm-hmm. with rocks falling and grass and moving in the wind when the wind's blowing through, you know, the, the foliage and, and stopping when it's calmer and, you know, just between the little things you do, like it's not necessary to take the boots off. It's more important to like know how to move given the ambient noise around you and working with nature than it is to take your boots off. So I've just learned that you don't need to, and you can only look for so many pieces of equipment to help you out. Like everybody asks me why I don't shoot a stabilizer on my bow. Everybody asks me why I don't take my boots off or, you know, there's all kinds of things like Mm -hmm. people ask. And it's really, it's because I don't look for the equipment to try and make me better. I rely on my instincts and I rely on nature to kind of tell me what, like it's our brains are an information processing center. Information from our environment comes in and then we interpret it with our, with our, with our mind. And we create a blueprint of how to extrapolate that information and get closer. And I'm always constantly adjusting and processing, adjusting and processing, knowing what I can get away with. And just over the years, I've just, you know, come to learn that really getting into bow range on a mule deer is not hard. The hard part for me is finding a good mule deer. Right. Yeah, I I agree. I, I'm surprised that I can go a, a year or two with no stalks, looking for a big buck, can't find one, can't find one, and I find one, and I'm in his living room in two hours. It it, it surprises mm-hmm. me, but now that kind of makes it sound easy. I've blown a ton of stalks. I don't want to make it sound like I'm just some mule deer master, you know, creeping in there anytime I want. But but I know what you mean. That that may not be the hardest part. And, 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 but your, your tips on stalking, you know, li- listening to the environment, you know, you're keeping your boots on, you make a couple of good points there. I remember one day walking on the bottom of a cactus filled hot Canyon for an hour and a half looking for my boots. You know, this is before Onyx and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, meanwhile, there's big mule deer, two draws over that I, I was just too far to walk to get to them in my socks. And so anyways, very, very <laughs> cool, Marlon. Very cool. Um, the, let's see, um, with the shot. All right. So, so, so killing over 60 bucks with a bow, you know, all mule deer. What are you seeing through your peep in that moment of truth? What, what, what can you tell us? Because, you know, I've, I've, I've lost a lot of like three big deer, either poor shots or just completely missed them. You know, people, people that follow my podcast, you know, They'll know exactly what I'm talking about. I I do not hold myself out as being able to keep it together at the moment of truth. That's been my Achilles heel. That is my weakness. You know, I should have six really big bucks, um, and I only have three because the other three I missed or, God forbid, wounded one of them. Um, so what are you seeing through your peep? What? How are you pulling this shot off? I don't hear you talk about being a tournament archer and a high-level competitive archer. Maybe you are. I don't know. But what? how are you making this happen 60 times? I mean, I think there's, if, if we're being candid, I think there's a lot of guys out there that, you know, have done it a lot more proficiently than me and a lot more often. And yeah, but they're not on the podcast. Animals. You are. And so I think that like, you know, um, it's, it's like, you know, truly tapping into your Indian, right? Like how good of an Indian are you? Mm-hmm. And I think there's some really great Indians out there. And I think that what, for me, I, I don't, I, I just don't, uh, I don't get nervous at all. Like to me, 
Um, so I, I know myself as very good at uh, being a pressure performer. When I was running companies and I had a lot of direct reports or we had sales rallies going on or, or I had to reach a certain goal or, you know, the, the, the pressure's on, like it's all about uh, getting it done in the moment, whatever it is. I've always been somebody that doesn't freak out or panic. And when I was living on a sailboat when I was a kid, we were in some pretty nasty storms at sea, like category 10 storms that are 100 and 100 to 95 to 120 mile an hour, not, you know, gusts of wind with 30 foot seas with rogue sets to 45 foot. The ocean is white. You scream to somebody four feet away from you and they can't hear you like life and death kind of real threatening type stuff. And my dad always told me, I remember when I was a little kid, I'll never forget this. He said, panicking is never going to help you survive. Panicking will get you killed. And as kind of weird as that sounds, even though it's not life or death for me necessarily on the shot, I look at it the same. Um, there's no sense of like, if anything, there's this utter sense of calm and like this sense of peace kind of just overtakes me. And I don't look at anything but like pocket. At, at and, what pocket? Look at the pocket you're shooting into? The pocket, yeah. I just gotcha. look at okay. the pocket that I'm shooting into, and, and that's all I see. I don't see a deer. I don't even see. I don't see antlers. I don't see a deer. I don't see. I just, I just see a target, and so everything for me just kind of fades away, um, and I'm very hyper focused. Um, you know, that's not that's not to say that I don't make mistakes. Like I have lost deer before. It's a very gut wrenching thing, and I'll spend my entire hunt to make sure that the deer is okay. Um, or, you know, I continue to hunt it down until I put another arrow in it. And, um, so it, it's, it's one of those things where you have to finely tune your own skill set, um, to the, to the, not to beyond the best of your abilities. Does that make sense? We're all capable of so much greater than what we think we're capable of and are able to hold ourselves to, uh, an ability or skill set level that's much higher than than we think is possible. So when I go stock a buck, in my mind, I, I'm already thinking back straps. Like mm-hmm. my pack is filled. I'm going to go get this deer. I don't go up there thinking, oh gosh, I hope. Mm-hmm. Um, the moment you let just a tiny bit of doubt enter your mind, you're leaving an opportunity for weakness to enter the opportunity that you've been given to go after that deer. So in in essence. You know, you control everything that you possibly can. You control your angle of entry. You watch all egress. You look at all the different uh, watch all positions. what egress. What do you mean by that? Egress, escape routes. Oh, okay, you understand gotcha. the potential. You 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 understand all of the potential egress. You you watch, uh, you know, and and understand how you're going to put yourself into the situation. Like I'll I'll stalk into you know, 50 yards and try and get my shot. If it doesn't look good and he's bedded, then I will back out and stock in again. I will make three, four, five, six different attempts. I don't care uh, at getting different angles to try and shoot them in their bed. I'm not going to sit there and wait for several hours for the wind to screw me. Like I'm going to continue to work angles, go in and out on that buck until I get the right angle to shoot him in his bed. 
Okay, so you, you um, don't you're not gonna just sit there and take the risk of 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 letting him stand and obviously having a potentially better shot because you may not get any opportunity. And I'm with you. And sixty even seventy yards of wind swirls, you're done. You're and you're done for the season. It seems like you're you're you're. It's not a matter of if the wind's going to screw you. It's a matter of when yeah. the wind's going to screw you. Mm-hmm. So once you start eclipsing that three o'clock mark, gosh, I want to say even two thirty. The, the the time that gets deer killed is between noon and two thirty. Mm-hmm. That kills most of the deer. Noon and two thirty deer are just freaking. That is it for them. They yeah. are freaking dust. If, the most predictable if, winds is that why. Most consistent most predictable winds? winds. They are freaking like tired. They've been up all night feeding. It's hot outside. They're seeking shade. Like that is when a deer is the most vulnerable. Gotcha. The most vulnerable he's ever going to get. So what you're saying is, and, after that, when the shadows start to get long, you know they they've had some rest. They might like this buck I I stalked last week. Just get up, get out of their bed, and move a hundred yards, and start feeding, and mm-hmm. or you know put, go to bed again, or you know, what if he doesn't get out of bed? Even if he doesn't get out of bed, guess what? The diurnal shift is going to happen on you. And then what are you going to do? Just watch it. Just watch it. Just As watch in it. the diurnal shift is going to start back down with the lengthening of the Correct. Right. Okay, gotcha. Correct. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. As soon as as soon as soon the sun goes down, the earth is not going to radiate anymore. And when it stops radiating, then you don't have, then you don't have uphill anymore. Then you have downdraft. <laughs> and that, 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 starts right at around three o'clock three thirty like if you have bluebird skies you have till about three o'clock in most scenarios depending on how the wind's playing you and what angle you're coming in at like if you're at a pretty hard quartered angle to the deer and it's bedded and you're not wind's not just in your face you're not stalking straight into the wind and it's not sustained at like 10 to 15 miles an hour but you have a fickle five mile an hour breeze in the middle of the day you better watch out come three thirty. Mm-hmm. You don't have much time. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't need a weatherman to tell me that. Like, you don't have much time. And it's just one of those things that, like, after you repeat it so many times, you're like, okay, I've seen this one play out before, and I know what I'm in for. And you don't need anybody to, like, play it for you because you literally stay conscious, conscious of the environment, even after whether you killed it or didn't kill it. You know, 3.30, 4.30, 5.30. You tell me what ha- starts to happen between three o'clock and five thirty, mm-hmm. it just goes to crap like you're going to notice oh wow it's hitting me from the side now oh my goodness it's hitting me straight from the back now it might only be for three seconds but that quick downdraft is all it takes to go 100 mm-hmm. yards and like you know you hear stories of guys oh i'm sitting in the sun for six hours waiting for him to stand it's like well good job buddy because you know that deer's like not going anywhere he's in the shade and he's trying to hide from that mm-hmm. he's not trying to get up so by the time he is trying to get up and it is cool and the and the thermals are changing, you lost your opportunity and there went your hunt. So it's better to try and work angles and get a good shot where you can get vitals in his bed than it is to try and like, you know, do one stock. And, and if anything, it builds proficiency, like, you know, rerouting and understanding how to get in on these animals instead of like doing one stock out of the year, do 10. Learn yeah, who you right. are. Right. And, and, right. and, and Marlon, last year when you were you know really focused on taking the best be- deer that you can, did you notice you got less stocks? Oh yeah. I wasn't, I, yeah, 
Okay. I, and so that's what I wanted to talk about is, you know, that's what I'm kind of coming to the realization at 54 years old, you know, I've been hunting mule deer for 20 years plus, I mean, really doing it right for probably 15. Um, and, you know, that's when I've killed those, those bucks. Um, but focusing on big mule deer, that's why I wanted to talk to you about this is you don't get a lot of practice. You know, you go, man, I've had seasons with no stalks. And that's that's a little embarrassing, but it's the truth. And it's like, wow, man, I'm missing so much learning opportunity here by not being out stalking deer. It, 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 it's a weak link in the system for me. It really is. That's a pro that's that's why I like that's why I called you this morning. So I liked your hunt last week. It's like, hey, he looked at the best deer in the unit. They were unkillable. He pulled out, still killed a nice deer, had him in a day, you know, laid the stock down, executed it. And you just gave all our listeners, in fact everybody, you know, mark mark that last 15 minutes because there's a lifetime of information right there on the stock and what what I'm still learning, just little bits and pieces of what you were talking about. I'm like, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. So I don't know where I'm going with all that other than just really agreeing with you. And 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 Marlon, I think you got a level of understanding of of depth of understanding going on there that most of us are just scratching. And it's it's old news for you, buddy. Um so I don't I I I dip my toes into this whole mature deer thing you know yeah um i'm not dedicated or committed to it nearly as much as you know some guys are um like i i, I still have not i've killed old deer i haven't killed high scoring deer and and I, I gotta be honest with you like i don't think i'm a trophy hunter to that you know from that i'm not cut from that cloth right you don't I, put, you don't put that air out you don't it doesn't feel like that at all yeah, I, 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 um, if I see a pretty deer and he's a good buck and gosh, he's clean and sexy, like, boy, I'm going. And, uh, but at the same time, you know, some of the younger animals that you could just tell, you could tell they're just goofy. They're just mm -hmm. goofy, big right. ears, small face, small body. They're kind of just still goofy. They're doing dumb stuff. You can tell that the bigger bucks just going, dude, leave me alone. Get out of here. Chasing them out of their beds and doing this. I, I have no desire to want to kill that. Like I'm going to let him learn the mountain, uh, learn the ropes for a few more years. And then, you know, and then, and then go match wits with him. Like then, then it's a little, I like it when it's a challenge, uh, but I'm certainly not going to look for that one buck on the unit. That's going to be the monster to spend my whole year on unless I can do it one-on-one. -on -one. Like I've done that before when, you know, I know I get the opportunity to hunt them and spend 16 to 20 days with them. I've done that and I do enjoy that, but there has to be a, an animal there that's being kind of like unmolested that I have the opportunity to do that with for me to be able to dedicate and commit that kind of time to. Otherwise I'm just going to go out and join my hunt and have a good time. Awesome. Okay, buddy. Last couple things here before we wrap up, um, August, September velvet hunts versus hunting them hard horned. You've done it all. Um, we all like the velvet hunts. I feel like that's your, your best chance at, at getting bucks. I don't know if you feel that way, but you've been very successful on hard horned and, and even some very big hard horned bucks. Is, is there a difference in how you hunt between the velvet and between hard horn? Or are you just still out there turning them over, waiting for the stock and getting in there and killing them? Yeah, the process is identically the same. 
they're not harder or easier one way or the other. Um, I think that it's a different experience in your hunt ethos, kind of like in your story of the journey um, and how you follow out your season based off of how you feel given like the stage, the field, mm-hmm. the way the air smells, the way the crispness or the spring, you know, the summer, like how your scouting comes along. I think it's part of like a bigger story. Right. And um, I, you know, I don't prefer hunting one in one season or the other because mm-hmm. they're both so different and so beautiful and so amazing. Yeah. I do know that when I get a buck on the ground, um, the velvet ones are kind of a little bit more pain in the butt because if you yes. want to save velvet, you right. got to spray them or inject them or you got to keep them cool and dry. And, you know, there's, there's some steps you got to take. Um, and by the way, like I use that velvet lock spray stuff. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. I mean, they, they don't sponsor me or anything like that, but I, I, I use that stuff on a buck recently and, and man, that stuff really worked good. And the, and the deer had like what I've heard. just shy of five inch bases. Like, so he was, he had some mass or some blood in there. Yep. Um, in the antlers, there was some blood in that bone and, and I just sprayed it and I left it outside how they said, and, you know, let it dry and cure. And, and that thing turned out perfect. Yeah, dude, I've, so, I've, heard, I've heard that about that stuff. You could embalm a body, you know? So if you need, if you need to hide a body, dude, there you go. Just get a couple gallons of that stuff. well cool Uh, but your process is the same for the velvet hunts versus the hard horned and i I think this is a tip for guys i used to quit as soon as they rubbed i don't know i just living on some myth that they're harder to hunt and and you know i I think they're less predictable i definitely think that but you know over the years i've become more passionate about bow hunting and and looking for more opportunity to to chase big deer i've continued on these states that allow you i hunt clear to the end of the season if i can clear you know if there's no other season like Colorado, you mentioned it, you know, if there's a muzzleloader season in the middle, you kind of need to be done by then because then you're competing with the gun hunters. But, you know, a lot of these states have long archery seasons. And if it goes past the velvet rub, I think a guy's smart. And I find that the hills are pretty empty of hunters as you get into Hardhorn and later. Has that been your experience? I mean, it can, depending on where you're at. Like, I don't think that uh, people understand how deer transition. And, and that's, I think, more the issue than it is that the, the field thins out. I think that hunters think a certain way and as a result use the, the mountain differently mm-hmm. based off of how they're actually hunting. So I think that that experience of how they're using the mountain is um, is different, not that the deer necessarily are different. Right. Exactly. And that's what I've noticed too, is, you know, this hunt I just came off of was a high country hunt. The deer are truly in the Alpine because they're still in velvet. Velvet rub was late this year in these winter kill areas. The deer, the, the growth started late and their, 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 their velvet rub, rub ran late. I saw a buck in velvet just yesterday. And usually by now you're hard, hard to find a buck in velvet. I, I, I think probably half of them are still in velvet right now around here. Um, but I, what I notice is that later in September, when I hunt those same bucks are just not up in the Alpine, but they're not far away. They're, you know, they're just further down the mountain or maybe at the same elevation, but using more of the cover, they're just more comfortable with it. Um, and, um, you know, maybe a little bit harder to find, but 
but totally stockable. Totally. I've had some great stocks in late September. I really have. So just wanted to get your, get your feeling on that. And so, Hey, as we wrap it up here, I got a pretty lady here waiting for me that wants me to take her to dinner and I want to keep my promise. And, and plus she's a lot of fun to spend time with. Um, I, I want to do just a quick <laughs> wrap up on, on your gear. This is, you know, rock slides, a gear podcast. Uh, just give me a quick rundown. What clothing are you running for your archery hunts? Uh, all of my hunts, I'm, uh, I'm running the scree gear system. So everything that scree makes, I, I, I run it. Okay. So early season, warm weather, which, which just, let's just do the top and the bottom. What are you wearing for a top? A hard scrabble pant and jacket. All right. Mm-hmm. All right. And then, uh, if it's a little nippy, I'll use a Merino, uh, you know, undergarment, uh, top and bottom and some wool socks. Okay. Back to the boot. What boots are you running? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if you're in a great big heavy hiking boot or you got some stealthy boot. I know you run Zamberlin's or at least you did. Yeah, no, I'm still running them. And, uh, no, these things are not stealthy at all. Um, they're a big, heavy, uh, full size, full length, wow, fairly stiff, uh, mountain boot. It's the Wasatch, uh, GTX. So the Zamberlin Um, GTX Wasatch. Okay. mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Optics. Vortex. Which spotter or spotters? So uh, so this season I ran the uh, UHD 65 millimeter spotting scope, and then they came out with this really sweet 39 power 56 millimeter objective. We UHD. just did the review on Rockslide. Travis Bertrand just mm-hmm. reviewed it, and you're running it too? Uh, yeah, they get, get got me one back in like July, I think it was. and. Um, I was just like using the crap out of being the high country. It's such a little beauty. Yeah. For, so for, for the weight to power ratio. And I don't mean, you know, power X as in just all you get for that amount of weight. Um, Travis gave it high marks. It, 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 and, and it deserves them. Um, I agree with him. It, it's not the thing where you're going to look five miles away and start judging kindly. It, it's going to be, I'm on a weight conscious backpack hunt. I don't want to be toting around the extra pounds, which this thing significantly reduces. And it says, okay, that's got a good frame on it. I can tell he's got good forks on it. That's a buck I want to get a closer look at. And and that scope really shines uh, in that type of an environment, in that type of uh, mindset. Um, because taking into consideration, you are looking through a 56 millimeter objective with the ability to magnify Mm-hmm. Uh, 39, 39X. So, I mean, it really is a, a powerful little tool uh, in a very compact, lightweight package. And and so I'm I'm pretty excited about it. That's cool. That's cool. And personally, I've found over 40 power, even in the premium uh, top dog spotters, you don't get to spend a lot of time above 40 power in real hunting conditions, you know, wind and, you know, stuff like that. And running on the edges of light. You know, it you just don't get to spend a lot of time there. So there's a lot there's a lot of usage in a spotter that's under forty power. Um, but uh, the binoculars, are you using any big eyes? Yeah, I uh, I still use my coas. I use I I don't think I'll uh, I'll ever stop using big eyes just because they're such a powerful tool. Um, and and they're heavier than crap. I think the tripod and the binoculars runs me around 23, 24 pounds. It's not, it, it's made more for like scouting. Yeah. They're scouting. Locating. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And then, you know, once you've like identified like where you want to be, then you, you get after your hunt. Gotcha. What about a big guy like a like a kaibab, fifteen by fifty six or you know eighteen by fifty six? You run anything like that? So I'm using the eighteen by fifty six Razor UHDs. Okay, so you went Um, with that one. What's that? That man, that is scratching alpha glass. I mean, I I we reviewed. I I did the tens last year. Me and Howard, me and a couple other riders and. I thought, man, there is so much value in this binocular here. I was, I was shocked at, at at the level of resolution that that binocular could do. It was a little heavy, but man, could it do a lot? And you know, keep keep a thousand bucks in your pocket too. I mean, if you're if you're glassing like in that mile and a half to three mile range, um, they're 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 absolutely a dangerous combo. Yeah, without question, that they, they give you that big eye feel, and um, and really provide a lot of solid value. I I, I love them. Um, so if I'm so here's here's how I look at it. If I am looking at huge basins from a long way away where I can cover a lot of country, uh, you know, I'll tend to use the big big eyes. If I am hunting and backpacking in, uh, into big country. 1856ers go with me everywhere. If I'm day hunting bigger country where I need to look at long washes, big arroyos and flats, desert that you know goes out for miles, uh, and I'm hiking ridge tops and covering a lot of ground, the 18s come with me. So there's a tool for every you know for every use, and each one is going to be very specific in its nature. Um, and and each tool definitely has uh, has a purpose and a place in the arsenal. I'm with you. I think even with the invention of the BTXs, which are incredible, um, the, the still the most utility is kind of in that 15, 18 power, 56, 60 millimeter objective platform. There, Those are the optics I end up using the most. I have better optics. I have ones that are more powerful, but I still end up back at that 15 or 18 power, uh, like what you just said. So I agree with you there, brother. Last thing before we wrap up, what bow are you shooting? Uh, I am shooting, I'm, I'm so in love with the RX-7 Ultra by Hoyt that I'm shooting that bow again this year. Such a smooth shooting bow. Um, it's an aluminum bow? It's not a carbon bow? No, it's, it's a carbon it's bow. It's their carbon, I, okay. I love their carbon bows. They're so dead in the hand. They're so solid. I haven't used stabilizer on one of their carbon bows ever since they, you know, ever since I've had them in their hand. No stabilizer. Um, That's like a guy that keeps his boots on on the stock. I'm just scratching my head here. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm kind of weird. But uh, uh, what's yeah. your what's your draw length? Thirty inches. Thirty inches. How many pounds are you shooting? Mm, if I really really torque down, I can usually get seventy one, seventy two pounds. All right. And uh, what grain arrow total package are you shooting? 442. 442. Are are you getting the majority of pass-throughs? Have have you tracked it? Yeah. uh, I would say that, um, you know, in the 90th percentile. All right. Which broadhead? Grim Reaper. Grim Reaper. Okay. 442 grains. Uh, You probably don't know your FOC. (laughs) I don't, I don't, I don't pay attention to that, to be honest with you. Oh, you missed that trend too. That's refreshing. 
Sounds like a guy that keeps his boots on during the stock. Uh, yeah. Let's see. So that's your bow. Um, man, last thing. Camp situation. Just reading between the lines. Sounds like you're pretty adaptable. You must take enough gear that you can have a good road camp, but you can also be on the mountain if needed and everything in between. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I approach a hunt uh, in that, you know, you don't know what's going to get thrown at you. So prepare for anything. Um, so I have, you know, a full back pack camp contingency in place um and then you know a lot of times i'll get a hotel or an airbnb just a base out of um mm-hmm. and drop all the gear off of and get it out of the truck and and go back to her a few days for a shower or whatnot or camp on a mountain or you know backpack in it it really doesn't matter to me it's just wherever the deer is all right, man. I, I knew you were going to say something like that. I could tell you were much more adaptable than just, you know, I only live on my back or I only stay on the road. Uh, Cause that's kind of what I've learned. You got to be adaptable to be a big, uh, big mule deer hunter. Um, uh, rock slide followers, rock cast followers. I hope you enjoyed this today. You got to look inside the mind of a very high level deer hunter, much respect to Marlon. Um, I, I know there's something there for everybody, you know, replay the, 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 the podcast, listen really close to some of the things that he said. Um, I endorse it all, Every, everything he said, man, even, even if I haven't mastered it, I've, I've seen little glimpses of that and, and, uh, and there's, there, there, it's hard to nail down a guy that's had that much experience. Uh, may, maybe Mark Smith too, has killed that many mule deer with a bow. Um, I'm sure there's other unknowns out there. We, we recognize you guys are out there, but you're, you know, you're not on social media. We don't know who you are. Um, we're lucky to have Marlon come on and share this stuff uh, with us. Uh, check, check him out on Instagram, uh, Graylight Hunter, all one word. Definitely go check out the app in the app store. Uh, is it Graylight Hunter in the app store as well? Um, I think if you just type in gray light and iOS, it comes up. Yeah, I think, I think that's right. It's really easy to find. Go check that out too. You know, maybe, maybe consider supporting Marlon through that, but Marlon, I'm on to my Friday night date. I thank you so much for making time for this. I know the listeners are going to find a, a lot of value in this and, uh, let's get together maybe after the season or something and do this again. I would be absolutely honored, brother. You are, and always have been, uh, an incredible human being and man and hunter and outdoorsman in my book. I am grateful, humbly appreciative and uh, happy to just, you know, share time with you talking about something we both love so much. And hopefully everybody um, got a lot of value out of it as well. Thank you for having me. You are welcome and back at you, brother. And as, as you always say to me, God bless you. Yeah. God bless all you guys. Yep. Thanks again. Well, Get to that dinner because it's sure going to be a lot of fun than hanging out with me. <laughs> That's right, dude. That's right. And she has a lot uh, sweeter voice than you do too, man. You're a little bit rough. <laughs> come a little on, scary, man. Two fifty and six three. I mean, come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, brother. Thanks again. You bet. <laughs>